0: Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined in the Northwest Suburban Chicago studio with my good friend, my co-host, Jason Zanger. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? I'm doing good. It's our fourth Recording of the day. And, yeah, we're uh, batch
1: recording today. You're getting a
0: little punchy, I might add. I'm yeah. just being funny. I know. Just like normal. Well, you think you're being funny, but it's okay. The Metalworking Nation knows the truth. They know that I'm more comedic punchable. than you. Yeah, punchable. Yeah. Remember, this episode, we don't need to use any big words to try and show okay, me no up. no
1: vacuous words. No vacuous
0: words. So, okay. So, Jim, last week we talked about cutting tools. That was yeah. good. I, I enjoyed that episode, quite frankly, because I think that it's important as a small manufacturing company leader, to be able to know what's available at our discretion to make good choices. Yeah, you for have my to be company. on the
1: cutting edge, pun we intended.
0: To, genuinely, we we really do have to be yeah, on the cutting edge because there's people all across the spindle, this country. The right are,
1: geometries, I mean, all the right chip breakers, right grades, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yes, all of those cumulatively are important. But at the end of the day, when you look at it from a 30,000 foot, we have to be at the level of our competition or else we're going to start falling. Off. I mean, if there's people out there right now that are still using high-speed oh. 90 degrees, no, hundred no, what what is the old included angle on an old high-speed steel drill? I think it's 90 degrees or well, 120. I mean,
1: we don't even sell high-speed steel end mills anymore. Who, who buys those anymore? We don't even anymore. sell uncoated carbide end mills anymore.
0: Is that right? Oh, no. I mean, I mean, I feel bad for those people if there's people out there buying drills, quarter-inch drills that are $2.50 from Walmart. There's not going to be any efficiency to that. But yeah, it was a good it episode. It was a great Tom, episode. Tom yeah.
1: obviously knows what he's talking about, and he really helps us to help our customers make more money.
0: What are we going to be talking about today? But today, yes. we're going to go to workholding. That's another invaluable Absolutely. resource it's a, that's it's small. another piece of the puzzle. It is. It's another piece of the puzzle that has to be put in. Because as I mentioned before, you have to have a machine tool. You have to have a cutting tool. And you have to have a work holding process. Mm-hmm. All three of those together. And you have to have a skilled person to operate that machine tool that knows the fundamentals of machining. And Absolutely. fundamentals of machining are speeds, feeds, holding that piece part in the most rigid way possible, getting the right amount of coolant, and, and uh, I would chip say evacuation. And, and, it's and all I, important. Yeah.
1: And I would say for a machining company like yourselves, who you don't spend as much time in the cut as you do in the setup, work holding is oh, probably no. more important than the average 80% setup. Yeah, you're, it's probably more important than the average machining company. It, so, this is going to be it even is. more important to you than some of our high production clients who are making thousands and thousands of parts a day.
0: It's all how fast. You can take the raw material comes in from the steel vendor, it's sitting on a cart, you roll it over to the machine, it's all how fast you can get that raw material into the work holding process, get the program done, get the tools set up, and start removing material. That's the sweet sauce right there. That's the secret sauce, I might add. What's new at Zangers? Anything? or What's new at making chips? Let's tell the Metalworking Nation what's new at making chips. Well,
1: what's what's new at Zanger is one of the things that I've realized is that we've talked about EOS a lot on uh, making chips. And we have. I'm involved in too many level 10 meetings. You are. And I need to delegate and elevate myself out of a lot of those. And and it's when you're growing, it's hard. It's a I difficult wonder about, transition. I wonder about that.
0: Seriously. Yeah, all seriousness aside, I know you are just all day long thinking about meetings, 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 and you're strategizing, 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 but you're not... And well, but, a bad everybody thing, wants but a, that's your role. That's yeah, your role. Everybody in the wants a piece
1: of me and it's exhausting. It's
0: same thing me yeah. on a much smaller level. I, I, I'm, but, I'm
1: involved in like five or six level ten meetings a week. Wow. It's
0: hard. Yeah. How do you do that? It's not easy,
2: man. Yeah. It makes me want to cry.
0: Sometimes.
2: <laughs> Please don't cry. Nick, can you get a
0: box of tissues for Jason? Yeah, sure.
2: Okay. But I know where he's coming from. We're actually implementing EOS at Advanced Machine Engineering, and we're doing it at the top level right now. But if we break that down to every business unit, that would be seven. Level ten meetings a week. We do seven.
1: But every department's don't gotta you think have that's them. a lot of talking.
2: No, it's good because I mean you are moving
1: through your issues and you're communicating on a high level. It's just that I personally don't need to be involved in
2: all of them. That's the big and thing. And I'm sure my dad feels the same way. Right.
0: As I said recently, we're thinking about Going into EOS at Car Machine and Tool, but somebody the other day just mentioned the Great Game of Business (GGOB). Have you heard of yeah, that? Yeah,
1: Jack Stack wrote that book, The Great Game of Business, and it was about a manufacturing company. There's a I I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a couple books, very famous books that were written about manufacturing companies, and that's one of them. And it's a do revolutionary you know book. the
0: distinct differences between EOS and GGOB? Well,
1: they're totally different.
0: Can you share with me as somebody I, who's I trying to make a decision? I,
1: I really can't tell you that much about the Great Game of Business Business. business because we don't utilize it. One of the things that I do know about it that we're going to be incorporating. I think it's more it.
0: financial. I think people in the GGOB... It's about,
1: GGOB is about giving people a stake in the, the, the financial yep. ramification Yeah, we're going to be doing those things at my company, but we haven't adopted GGOB just because we can only adopt so many things at one time. Yeah, you can't do it. But I do know one of our past guests, Tom Hilaris from Seal. he runs on EOS and he's implementing a lot of the principles of the great game of business as well. Oh, so we that. can bring him on and, I'd and like have to. him talk about I think know, it, how that's impacting Honestly, that's his a great business. idea. Let's do that. Okay. The book was originally written about the Springfield remanufacturing company in Springfield, Missouri.
0: Sounds great. I'd love to bring Tom on and hear his opinion on how he feels, what the two differences are. So, anyway, that's what where cars at, and we'll let you know what I decide to do. But as far as I know, GGOB is not a business operating system. It like is not like, a system. Like it's not a systemized approach, a process approach yep. to running your business, right? Yep. Yeah, it's more so. finance-based. Absolutely. So let's talk about manufacturing news. Nick, we got- Yeah, let's, Nick go, to, is here let's here go to our next? weatherman,
2: Nick. Hey, the weather in Chicago is horrible. Stay home. As it always is in February. Actually, it's more than manufacturing news. We, we do four pieces of content every week now. We've got the podcast, obviously. We've got an original article written by someone on the Making Chips staff. We also have a chip-in contribution from an owner of a workholding company named Triag. His name is Beat Baumgartner. Where's He's, he from? He's from Switzerland. Okay. And he's going to be talking about the advantages of using the entire machining envelope. He compares that to like if you owned an apartment building, wouldn't you rent out all of the apartments in it? So often we have this big machining envelope and we put a little vice in and run one part at a time. And then to get into the news this week. What is, is the news this week? There's an article about fact-checking President Trump's 2019 State of the Union address. Oh, we're not going to oh, get political, right? I know. No, no, we no. We don't no.
0: normally go there, Nick. Why did we're, you pick this?
2: We're only going to talk about what relates to manufacturing?
0: Okay, so it's going to be a manufacturing centric discussion. We're not going to bring the political pundits in. No. Okay, good. Because
2: sometimes you
1: have to fact check the fact checkers.
0: Yes.
2: That's very true. Donald Trump said we have created 5.3 million new jobs and importantly added 600,000 new manufacturing jobs in his State of the Union address. That was
0: just the other day, right? The
2: article says Trump often inflates the number of jobs created under his presidency by counting from election day rather than when he took the oath of office. But the reality is there's been almost 4.9 million jobs created since January 2017 of which 436,000 are manufacturing. I feel like a couple things from
1: this. I feel like the stats, everybody has stats, and I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but I get sick and tired of, oh, it was 435,000 instead of four hundred eighty five. I mean, it's like, come on, who cares? It's a big number, and it's wonderful for the manufacturing industry. Move on.
2: That's my you know take what I mean, like, that, yeah, exactly. It's like, if you the look end at of the, the previous at, administration, you had 900,000 manufacturing jobs gained over seven years, which you know,
1: is amazing. We're, we're two
0: years in and yeah.
1: we're moving good. So, yeah, the manufacturing industry is strong, and that's a yes. good thing.
0: And whatever prompted that increase. It doesn't make any difference. There's so many variables. There's so many variables. All I know is it's not 2008 anymore when we were all, had our tongue hanging out. We were waiting for the next job to come in the door. And you were Things, using high-speed steel mills. <laughs> we were, no, we weren't. <laughs> not back then. But we certainly were in the state of flux, and it was not pretty. I've said many, many times on the podcast, it was probably one of the worst times being a manufacturing owner and not having any work and having to lay off 50% of my people and your sales plummeting 50%. It was awful.
2: So if you want to find all the new content, including the podcast, you can visit makingchips.com and subscribe and we'll send it to your inbox.
0: That's a great idea. And,
2: and you know, Jim, I know that
1: you don't have your PhD in economics. You have, I do not. Your, you have your PhD in machining, but
0: do you think that there's a, a recession could be coming soon? I absolutely could not answer that question. I'm confident. Does, I th- it, does I'm, it concern I'm you? I'm confident that I can. Yes, it does concern me. Absolutely. We just did an episode about yeah, we the did. recession recently. But yes, it does concern me that a recession is looming. I am confident to say that I don't think, my personal opinion is, I don't think I am going to feel a recession in 2019. Could it be 2020? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But I don't feel it for 2019. I think it's going to be pretty good, pretty good for us. I can't compare myself to other people. Well, manufacturing let, me, let me ask you something. Yeah. So,
1: you've got these POs and they tell you that the future looks good, right?
0: Well, the Could your
1: customers the, push those out they, and they that could really impact your sales? Because 100%. you can't invoice them based on stuff you haven't shipped out, right? No, you
0: cannot. Absolutely. So, that could impact your business. It could. It could. However, I'm pretty confident that. It's going to happen. I mean, I could be wrong, but if you just had to say, Jim, how confident are you that 2019 is going to be a good year? Right now, I would say I'm 85% confident it's going to be a very good year. I could be wrong, but that's what I'm saying. So everyone has a crystal ball. Everyone interprets the crystal ball. I don't know ball. crystal ball. You don't? I don't either. Oh, well, I do. Should I
2: have one? Yeah, you
0: should. No, I don't think Uh, so. Because it helps. It helps navigate your business. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get
1: involved in witchcraft. Can I get one of those from Zengers? No, we don't get involved in witchcraft.
2: Tooling? We do. We sell ball end mills. Okay. So I think to put a bow on it, previously, we used to just cover the manufacturing news on the podcast, and that's that's where you could hear about it. But now we actually publish an article on our site with our thoughts related to the latest in manufacturing news. So check out makingchips.com. Great. Jim, can I
1: introduce our guest today who's going to talk about the evolution in workholding.
0: Let's do it, because we need to know more about how workholding is affecting our efficiency. I know
1: it's made an impact in your shop. It has. It, you have using to advanced p- principles in workholding. Yeah. So our guest today is Alvin Golner. Alvin is business development leader of North America for AMROC work Workholding, a business unit of advanced machine and engineering. Alvin is a pioneer in workholding products, and we're going to hear more about that in this episode. So Alvin, welcome to Making Chips. Well,
3: thank you, Jason. I appreciate being here and Talking with you guys and see what you guys have to say about workholding and
0: well, welcome, Alvin. It's great to have you here. I know we share a lot of the same history legacies from old school days of workholding, and I really am looking forward to talking about how we really have evolved from those Bridgeport vices yeah, on a Bridgeport yeah. milling machine. turning truckers and yes. radio drills and to, all that to what, good stuff. To what's driving the future of this industry. And again, like I said, it's all about how fast we can get that raw material on the bed of the machine. Get the tools in the tool holders, turn it on, and start making chips.
1: So, Alvin, tell us about your start in metalworking.
3: Well, let's see. I was 12 years old, and my dad, I think, was giving me 50 cents an hour. Now everybody's complaining that they don't make enough, and I'm thinking, 50 cents an hour? My God, I wasn't making squats. But anyways, I started when I was 12. He had me sweeping the floors and just picking up a lot, learning from veterans that have been around for a while and and that's how I started and then from there I went to the manual lathes and the way we did things we did spindle shafts we had a taper attachment on our manual lathe and a gauge with bluing and we'd check it and then adjust the taper and it was some good stuff back then I was glad I learned all that now we finally need a computer. No, 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 did you you, need, we didn't have computers a calculator. back then. You know? yeah, we, right. we had, we had Texas and, Instruments computers. Yep, Weren't you, know. you running
2: the milling department after the Lays, though?
3: Well, after the Lays, when I got a little older, I ended up going in the milling department. No, not quite 13. Oh, okay. I think I was... 20-something, kind of lose track at my age of 58, but wound up in a milling department. And I was thinking, geez, this is crazy. We're bringing out the spindle to put an indicator in the spindle to indicate this and indicate that. And I'm thinking, we ain't making no money. The spindle's sitting idle. It just doesn't make sense to me. So then I said, so you You know, had
0: an epiphany back then on how yes. to amp up efficiencies as a machine shop apprentice or journeyman machinist
3: yep, learning the ropes and of course my dad was on my excuse my language ass why it's taken so long so i finally said you know what i got an idea why don't we put a grid system subplate on the pallet of the machines and where every hole is locating or mounting or both, And so we decided to go with a two-inch grid system, which to my understanding and what I see traveling and being out there these days now is the industry standard on a two-inch grid system, either a half-inch ID bushing with the half-13 thread, hardened threaded insert, or a five-eighths. Those are the most two common ones that I see. There's metric out there, but still in the United States, aerospace and a lot of other companies, they're on that standard 2 inch grid system so that was your brainchild that was my brainchild so after you put that grid in how did it speed up the setup we started with components products that we kind of develop in our own work holding catalog and we had it all on a two inch grid system so with our precision dowel screws that we also make and manufacture locates the components right on that grid system. So I never have to indicate. So the spindle don't have to sit idle. And nowadays with the vertical machines, we have double pallets. So while one pallet is machining the part and is set up and running, we set up the next part. Or another job. And it's all based on that grid system on the pallet itself. And that's been working out really well. And we've been introducing new products along the way as well, too. And we've been really happy with that system. And now a lot of companies are following suit. Thank you for
0: that. I appreciate that. It gives me a little insight into your background and where you began, your beginnings. But let's talk about Amarok right now. How did advanced machinery and engineering get into the work holding business? The birth of AMROC, A M R O K. Is that an
3: acronym for something? To me, AMROC, I actually helped come up with that word. And to me, it's a good foundation, AMROC. It's the rock. Yes, it's the rock. Because and we
0: all know in, in the fundamentals of machining that the better that you can hold the work piece, is going to be a lot better. You can't have it flimsy and flopping all over the way. You're going to get chatter. You're going to get deflection. You're going to your tolerances aren't going to be there. It's going to everything's going to go down from there. So it, it is correct. really true. It's all about the rock and the foundation and about how rigid you can make your setup.
3: Yes, and that's what a, a lot of companies don't focus on. It's it's that foundation. That ha- you have to have a solid foundation to work with, and then from there you build on it with your components and that. If you don't have a good strong, solid foundation, you're going to have chatter, you're going to have a lot of problems, and you can't maybe utilize your speeds and feeds like you should and crease them. So that's very important, too. And and of course... We do a lot of tombstones and to me Amrock fit perfect with tombstones as well, too. So
0: So the branding Amrock, that was your brainchild? You birthed that word. Yes. Correct. Awesome. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Well,
2: yeah, let me just jump in. So yeah. advanced machine and engineering has a bunch of sub brands. And they're all am this or am that. So the sawing machines that we sell are am saw. The work holding stuff that we sell is am rock. The locking units that we sell are am lock. So that's kind of how we do the branding from there. But the
0: tagline is build on the rock. Build on the rock because it's all about having the most rigid setup around. So tell me how that evolution of AMROC came about. So you brought this, you pulled this fundamental skill set about building on the rock, the fundamentals of machining, having this rigid setup. And then you brought it to someone and you started to develop products for industry that we as machinists needed to help in the efficiency of cutting tools. Uh, Not cutting tools, work-holding Yeah, we actually,
3: we started as a machine shop. Just started that way, and my dad was a strong believer in having your own product lines, because you never know when the economy's bad, you may not be getting enough work to keep your company busy, and that was a problem. So my dad was always into product lines, so I started thinking a little, too, and then we acquired a company way back many years ago that actually made the tombstones and from there we built on that and we added new designs and patterns to that tombstone line then we created a catalog and then we also had a product line it was called Amflex which had a lot of components and it was also done based on a two-inch grid system v-blocks and vice systems that just locate automatically with dowel screws and then from there we just kind of added more products and when I was on a road too I, I seen a lot of cool ideas and it made me think, well geez what if other machine we did shops this. were doing. So you yeah. as
0: you visited you were taking in all of what these obscure machine shops or their best practices and you were developing this product line in your head based on what you saw in all these machine shops you were visiting through your career. Yeah,
3: that's correct. And then also, I noticed, boy, there's this one product that has a self-centering dovetail vice and I thought, Boy, uh, that would be cool to have. And then I would ask questions. I'd go to certain locations where they have a lot of this type of product. And I would ask the questions, well, what were the problems you had with this? What did you like about this? And all the problems that they had, we developed our own and we solved all their problems that customers had. And that was real helpful. Now they're actually starting to buy this product and going away from the original product that was similar. Are you the inventor then? Yes. There's probably 20 different product component trees that are in our catalog that I actually brought in through the help of other customers being on the road selling and quoting and that kind of help us brought up. Even more products in our mix that we sell. So let's
0: back up just a little bit, Alvin, because you keep reiterating this two inch grid plate, two inch, two inch hole pattern. Why is that significant? Why is two inches? Why isn't it one and three quarter? Why isn't it what is synonymous with the two inch grid pattern that sure it has become an industry standard?
3: Yeah, a lot of customers back in the day had oddball grid systems. I think inch and a three eighths or inch and a quarter, hold a hole, and then there was three inch system, but the most common always seemed to be a two inch where most of the products and components can fit in that envelope. So what you're saying.
0: Okay, so let's stop right there. So when you say a two inch grid, you're talking about a hardened bushing. Yes. That is Pressed into. Yeah, we lock tight them in. Oh, you lock tight them in. That's good to know. Well, there's an interference fit between that hardened bushing and the steel. Grid plate that it goes into. It's actually a slip fit.
3: Oh, it is a slip with fit with Loctite. I did not know that. The reason why? Because if it was a press fit, and say you have a big aluminum plate, well, the idea is going to close up a little gonna, bit. Sh- it's going to mess up the geometry of it because between it the can, centers, those press fit bushings could actually change it. Yeah, they uh, could. In aluminum, especially, yeah. so Loctiting was the easiest way. They'd drop in with maybe three five tenths clearance. Say. Okay.
0: So it, it would retain the center distance tolerance just because it's got a minimal clearance. Correct. And then you would use the Loctite to secure that bushing. And ho- in the hold hall. the
3: bushing in place. Okay. And we would hold five tenths, plus or minus five tenths hole to hole is what we Between would centers. hold. And that 99.5% of the time, that is plenty accurate. Some companies would overkill that and make it way too precision and maybe jig grind the holes and and it's not necessary. 99% of the time, the plus or minus five tenths is, is totally fine.
0: And then below that... so. What is the standard grid plate thickness?
3: We use two-inch, but you can go for the half-inch system. The threaded insert's 870 thousandths long, and the bushing is a half-inch. And then there's like 40 thousandths gap between the bushing and the threaded insert. So oh, you could so go a as low as inch and a half. I okay. like to go one and five-eighths or bigger. But most of the common subplates that are on the machines are two-inch thick. Okay. And that's so, what we normally use So say. the ID of
0: the hardware... And bushing is typically?
3: It is roughly, it's like 0.75182 something. It's like that's a, the ID? That's the ID of the board hole. Okay. And so it'd be like four tenths or so, five tenths bigger than the OD of the bushing. Okay. And I think you need a minimum two, three tenths for interference fit.
0: And then below that is a what size A tab? threaded
3: insert. If you have a half-inch ID bushing, we would use a half-13 hardened yeah, threaded sure. insert Got it. below the bushing. And then that's in every hole. And then on a grid plates, we would do numerical, so you know where every hole is. So actually what's nice, too, is an engineer could draw that grid plate up and say exactly where to put the components for the next job. So that's kind of nice. That's why alphanumerical, so you know where the holes are. Otherwise, you're trying to count them. Where the heck is this hole at?
0: No, thanks. I wanted to understand the two inch grid plate because you keep mentioning that, and it keeps coming up over and over again. Now I understand why. My next question is why do you think? It is that the metalworking nation is quicker to optimize cutting tools than they are to optimize work-holding systems. Why are they always trying to get that variable pitch, variable helix, solid carbide end mill with tile coating on it versus getting a Triag or an Amarok work-hold two-inch grid pattern system?
1: Jim, I think I probably know why that is. I think Jason. it's less of an investment. They can try mm, advanced yeah, yeah, cutting no, tool technology. Yes, yeah. With less of an investment than they can, the investment that it would take in changing your work however, processes.
0: However, I believe that the work holding is just as important because if you're not gonna be able to hold
3: your Work piece securely in place, you'd have a big problem. You could well, have I mean, all I the best mo- tooling in the world, right? But if or you're the best machine uh, tool holding that part isn't secure enough to handle more advanced cutting tool, then you got a problem. Well, I think there,
1: most, so. most manufacturers do are holding the work piece effectively, it's just that they could be doing it better, or they, they could be true. thinking
2: more about the setup they think about like, okay, how fast can I actually run through the cut? But are they really thinking about how long the setup takes?
1: For you, Jim, that setup is very important. So yes, for you, they might be equally important. But I would say for a production manufacturing company, the cutting tools are definitely
0: more important. They are. But at the end of the day, if it's not a rigid and robust and efficient work holding, you can have the most expensive machine tool with the most expensive and high-tech cutting tool in that spindle. And if your work holding sucks... That tool is going to fail incredibly fast, and you're going to be disappointed on all aspects. Yeah, but I would say most people have mm, the rigidity. I don't know. They, they, I, I disagree. No, it could be better. No, no,
1: it could be better. I agree with you. Yeah. But I would say they're not optimizing their processes. I think that's probably where you come into play, and you could really make a the lot most depends on the
3: application too. I mean, if of you're course. holding a part and it's pretty high off the say vice or table, yes. you could have a chatter problem. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Or you could yeah. have a situation situation. situation like you had where, hey, I can machine six parts instead of four parts or 10 parts instead of eight parts, or that helps with your efficiencies as well. Right.
3: I mean, when you have a product that is a high volume, you may have a custom fixture. Once you actually get that tweaked in and set up It's going to always stay there because they're running the same part over and over again. But when you're in a job shop environment where your setup's constantly changing, you got to think, how can I do this next setup pretty quick? Because if I don't have a double pallet like, say, on a vertical machine, that spindle's going to sit. When that spindle sits, you are not making any money. Because if you're not making chips... You're not making money. That's no. true.
0: And that's that's what we're going through right now. I've got machinery and equipment out there right now that the spindles are not running. And we need to get a lot more efficient and make sure that we're running multi-machines concurrently at the same time and just ramp up the efficiencies. Get in that shop, Jim Carr. So
3: are you guys
2: getting into that modular category right
3: Correct. Now? I grew up with Kurt Vices, Bridgeport Vices, the standard one piece, and then they came out with two pieces on a double. Oh, the um, double lock vices. vices. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you the know, problem is-
1: It's amazing. We sell a lot of Kurt Vices. We buy still, still loads of them still. Those and,
0: dinosaur vices? Well, yeah. Those yeah, six-inch six Kurt Vices? <laughs> well,
1: I know, and, and there is more advanced. work. are calling you'd be amazed the number of manufacturing leaders out there, they're like, I want a Kurt Vice. It's what I've been using. That's what I've got the shop set up for. And
3: that's how sure. I run my shop. Everybody starts with the Kurt Vice when they first start a shop. But then from there, as they grow, they start realizing boy, I got a 500-piece job, not a 2, 4-piece job, yeah. and I want to put more than one or two pieces on there because then I can let that spindle run. So that's where the modular system comes in play, and and we have a line called a Triag modular line, and that's with a serrated base rail, which also mounts on a standard 2-inch grid and locates with our dowel screws. And that's nice because you can do big parts, and small parts. And the vices themselves are start at 19 millimeters wide or 125 wide. So depending on the size of the part, you can do three-side machining, say on the horizontal, 0, 90, and 270 with this system. And it's a great way to go. And in my opinion, that's one of the best systems out there I see because you can loosen it in seconds either side of the clamp and it pops straight off because it's on every two millimeter serration. You can read. Oh, it's
0: two miller between the center uh, line of the serrations. Yeah, so that's 78,000s. Correct. Yeah,
3: uh, just shy of eighty thousand.
0: Yep.
1: And Jim Carr did say he was good at math, so I am good at math. <laughs> but 20, it, 25.4, right,
3: buddy? You were doing that calculation. That's head. how you
0: convert from metric to imperial.
3: And again, this modular triag system rail system, you don't have to indicate anything. That's what's great. All our components, 95% of our components all locate with dowel screws, so So I don't have to bring out the indicator or anything like that.
0: Alvin, as you know, we do have some triag systems in our shop right now. I'm curious, I do not know the answer to this, honestly, but are the serrations ground- because I would imagine that center distance sure. is really important—that two millimeters sure. that you just mentioned—they
3: actually have a fixture that they set these base rails on, and they locate off some metric holes that are in the base rail. And okay. And ours is every two inch spacing, but they actually, I believe, millim because they can hold precision really well.
0: Yes, because nowadays you can with the machine tool, the yes. cutting tools, with you the can do technologies,
3: that. Technologies they yeah, have, but they're hardened, right? Machines. They have to be hardened. Yes, they do to get To what hardened. Rockwell?
0: Like 55, um, 60?
3: The rails, I think, are more like 60 Rockwell. Okay.
0: My next question is, you've been fortunate enough to travel in Europe and U.S. Mm-hmm. and see and take in all these projects, these strategies that these machine shops are using, and you've been able to articulate those in your head and, and develop the Amrock product even better and better and better and better. How does the technologies that you see overseas like in Europe differ from what you see in what are the glaring differences?
3: What I see, there is a lot of modular systems out there, but the problem with a lot of these systems for instance like clamp parts vice like a vice system but a modular with ours we can put chucks on and in seconds you can take either a vice module off or a chuck off a vacuum system can mount on a rail er32 er40 collets that a lot of shops have in their shop our triag system is a lot more modular than the most common ones you see out there, because the common what ones, the ones are just What is the big differentiator, vicing. Alvin? You keep saying that it's a lot more modular. What are the big
0: differentiators?
3: Well, do, well, instead of just vicing a part, you could hold a round part in a chuck. You can hold it in the collet. You can put a raw material block on a magnet plate. That mounts in seconds on the rail. Mm -hmm. So it's just more than just vicing. It's a lot more than that. Fixture plates can mount on the triag rail, and you can quick change those out. It offers a lot more than what's out there these days. And in my opinion, this system with the triag is one of the best I've ever seen out there. And I travel a lot, so... And what your mind can think of, you can pretty much create with this system. And that's what I tell a lot of people too. So Alvin, you've been in my shop before
0: and and you've seen it and you know what we're doing and, and trying to do and we're trying to evolve, which is what this whole podcast episode is about. If you don't push yourself out of your comfort zone and equip yourself with what is available and the resources available to help make your setups more efficient and more rigid and easier from job to job, you're, gonna, you're just going to fall off the face of the earth, and there's somebody else that's going to be doing something that's going to be way faster. and uh,
3: You're going to get behind. You're going you to you get behind. You don't want to stay up with what's out there, the new products, new ideas. You have to because the best shops are staying up with the times.
0: So I know we're getting short on time. So can you just share with me and Jason and Nick and the entire Metal Working Nation that's listening to this episode right now, what are the Three most impactful work holding systems that will significantly improve efficiencies in their shops immediately. If they're not already using them, what are, I'm sure you can elaborate on this very quickly, what are the three things that a machine shop can do tomorrow to start increasing the efficiencies in their shop?
3: I always start with the foundation. When I go in the shop and I see that okay, for instance, a vertical machine just it relies on this T slot of the table. And you have some location in Y with the T slot center to center, but you don't have any in X and you're very limited. So I would always recommend starting with what's common and what most people use and where components will adapt quickly and easily and that would be a grid plate on a two inch grid system. That's what I would first Talk to customers that just have regular tables to with the encourage them to put a grid plate on there. Sure. And That's even one. Juergens, Carlane, they're also on a two inch grid system. Oh, okay. So a Boy, lot of those are big, old school. Uh, old school. Old yeah. school, but they're also working with new technology good, and new good. ideas awesome. and that, too. And then yep. if you're in high volume, the hydraulics is the way to go. When you do a, a mini parts, say thousands of parts a year, you want to have a dedicated fixture. In the most cases, we would use hydraulics because you just flip the switch and it automatically clamps the part. So that would be another good way. And then, of course, if you're like a job shop environment, Triag is a nice right, way. Right, low to mix, go. high volume. Low mix or high, even high volume, you can leave it dedicated on a rail system. So the Triag would be a nice push to quick change from... Two Z's, fives, ten pieces, and you want to quickly change over to a bigger part, you can just loosen the clamp and reposition it very quickly. So that would be another one that I would recommend or push. And then the third and final? The third and final is just making sure you have the right tooling because there's so much tooling out there, and boy, people, I still see people using the yep. old... What do old, you uh, see?
0: What, when you walk in a shop, what do you see that makes you Cringe what you know immediately well, that they well, could change tomorrow. That's gonna- sure.
3: What drives me nuts is when I see like eight Kurt vices on there, they're big and bulky. And now oh, they weigh like
0: 70 pounds, yes.
3: And we used to have 30 of them now. We switched over to the triag with the grid system, those are and, centerless vices. And we also have centerless vices, okay, self centering vices that mount also on the rail two inch grid plate and two inch grid yep. plate. And boy, when I see all these vices, and they're big and bulky, and you're limited in the envelope. Well, it's typically a six-inch vice a six-inch vice
0: opens about seven inches, right? About seven inches. Yeah. But
3: if you got a plate that's say twelve by twelve, right? You just put two rails on. Yeah. You got two end stops, awesome. and then you clamp it with two clamp modules, and you're done. If you want to do a bunch of small parts, well, but just get extra I, clamps. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting, but
0: sure. Immediately, I think, is it as rigid? Is your system as rigid as the those multiple six inch vices where you're going to get the full sure, six inch sure. width
3: the problem though is okay let's say you and have it's a, up higher too, sure right but let's say you got a one inch block and okay you have to do three-sided machining maybe you're on a vertical and and you have to side mill to get the length
0: correct sure right and absolutely. then do some
3: milling on top uh-huh. well how are you going to do that on a, on a big bulky dinosaur kurt vice Right. You can't, you can maybe shove it to one side and get two sides, the one end and then the top. But how are you going to get the other side? You got to have another setup to move it over to the other side to side mill it. Here on on a triad, you just get a 19, a small-width clamp, maybe 19 millimeters if the part's three-quarters long, and now you can have access to get to the end. Is the clamping
2: force the same,
3: though? The clamping force varies, Good but the smaller clamps, you're going to have a little less clamping force. But the bigger clamps are up to like 6,150 pounds of clamping force with the power clamp. There's also an clamp that you can get up to 15,500 pounds of clamping force. So there's some bigger ones that also fit on the same grid, two-inch grid plate, and you can interchange these rails. So we have a couple different sizes for bigger parts. We have the Clamp that accommodates for that as
0: well. Alvin, wow, that was great. I love hearing about these new technologies and innovations and efficiencies, and it gets me excited to better run my company. And I love that we're transitioning away from six inch bridge port vices and we're utilizing all of these new efficiencies on the machine because at the end of the day, what is in the back of my mind every single day when I'm quoting a job is I know that there's other shops out there that are utilizing these new technologies. And if I'm not at their level, Mm -hmm. if I don't have the right cutting tool or the more efficient cutting tool, or the more efficient work-holding solutions, I'm going to be falling behind.
1: I would say even, Jim, just a little bit of a different mindset, if you're at the advanced end of cutting tool technology and work-holding technology you can quote that job at a more efficient price, still be profitable, and grow your business. Right.
3: Let me explain something here. I was at a company in St. Louis, I think it was, and they had a several brother machines, vertical mills. The tables were real small, so yeah, they could, could fit small one machines, yeah. small machines. They could put one Kurt Weiss on there, but they had a 500-piece run, and I said, throw a little grid plate on there and let me put a couple rails on there. I, I actually could fit 20 pieces pieces no Versus kidding. one on there with the triangle. Oh, my God. And the problem is what they don't realize, you're wearing out the machine. You got the center drill saying coming and, and right. drilling it for one piece instead of 20 with the same tool. Then you bring it back in the magazine, bring out the drill, and now you're drilling one piece yeah. instead of 20. Yeah, so I get the, it. So the magazine and the machine's yeah. getting wore out. Uh-huh. And, and it just doesn't make sense. No. But some companies are still and they're not using
0: the full width of the ways and then the
3: machine could be running 20 pieces and and not sitting idle after one changeover every time it still makes sense so
0: i appreciate that it was a pleasure having you here and sharing your wisdom i look forward to working more with amrock in my shop with regards to amping
3: up our efficiency i I appreciate that the business we're in you never stop learning thank you elvin appreciate it guys thank you (laughs)
1: Hey, Metalworking Nation. This is Caleb, the team lead at Making Chips. If you enjoyed what you heard today and you want to learn more, go to makingchips.com slash workholding.
0: That's makingchips.com slash workholding. Jason, wow. That was that was a lot. That was a lot, yeah. yeah. Is your brain a little fried there? A little bit, little Okay, bit. Yeah, yeah, I can see that your eyes are like glazing over a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I would definitely have to say that I'm more familiar in the cutting tool arena than I am in the work holding mm-hmm. arena. So it's nice to have a partner like Alvin that we can bring them into our clients and, and provide solutions for them in order to be more
0: efficient with their work holding. You bet. Because at the end of the day, if you're not making chips... You're not making money. Bam. bam.
3: And many of them are at makingchips.com.
0: Use the plethora of words, yes. Can you spell plethora? P-l-e-t-h-o-r-a. Yeah, very good. Is that right? I think I'm just might like, be E-R-A. I'm like, it doesn't please make any difference. Stop. <laughs> I know. <laughs>